Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland. There are those people that God calls to places of leadership, complicated, sometimes difficult, challenging, but places that summon all your creativity. One of those people is my friend, Dr. Mark Walker. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. I'm Mark Rutland, and today's guest is the president at Lee University and my longtime friend, Dr. Mark Walker. Mark, I'm so glad that you've joined me today. Welcome to The Leader's Notebook. Hey, it's my privilege and pleasure, sir. Thank you for the opportunity, and I enjoy listening to your podcast, and always a great pleasure to speak with you anytime, sir. So God bless and great to be with you. Thank you. Well, you've made my day. If I know the great <laughs> Dr. Mark Walker's listening <laughs> to my podcast, there we go. <laughs> well, um, let's, uh, let's just go back in history a little bit. Um, you and I connected. I was the pastor at Calvary Assembly in Winter Park, Florida, and you were the pastor at First Assembly of God in Orlando. That's right, yeah. And I will tell the, the listeners, um, Dr. Walker was such a wonderful preacher. When I had a Sunday off, Allison and I would go over to First Assembly and hear him. <laughs> Which was really terrifying, to be honest. When when Dr. Redlinkin was walking in <laughs> to hear you preach, it does send a shudder down your spine. Oh, no. uh, I consider you one of the great communicators. Uh, of the gospel. So uh, it was an honor to have you, but I always felt like, oh my God, great <laughs> intimidation. <laughs> no, what you see, what you didn't understand was that I was there to steal a sermon. I was, <laughs> I, I, I was in need of an outline, man. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you probably heard some of your stuff coming through my sermons too. <laughs> I've used your stuff many times. But you know, Mark, really, you and I, we go back even before then when you were a uh, frequent guest speaker at Mount Perrin, and I was on staff there. And you would come to speak when my dad, who was the pastor at that time, would be gone. And I would always be the the, the host, if you will. I hosted you many times and led the service that you preached. And that's where we really began our friendship and uh, got to know each other. That's true. And I always felt a special connection to you. I just guess it was in a, a your own professional level where you you were the lead pastor. Uh, that's right. where I sort of began to connect with you as a, a leader on you in your own rights. Right. Sure. Well, let's deal with the issue of Mount Perrin uh, Church of God and and successive leadership. Um you know, I heard somebody say one time, and it, it never really ever made sense to me that they would rather uh, follow a, a failed leader than follow a successful leader. I, I can see something about it, but you, twice now you have followed hugely successful leaders. Let's let's talk about that. What is the challenge of that? Well, first of all, you need to have your head examined to do it <laughs> one time, much less to do it two times. <laughs> well, certainly there's challenges either way, mm. um, you know, from following successful leaders. The upside is that usually you have a tremendous team already in place. You've got a healthy organization. Um, and so you've got a lot to, to work with and build upon. Um, now, obviously, the downside is the great comparison, right? You've got mm, these mm. 
big successful leaders and then you're being compared to are you as good as they are so forth and so forth on and, and while that is uh real um i think uh, oftentimes it's more real in the leader's mind than perhaps in other people's minds what i mean by that is uh, a leader can't be intimidated by that reality good and a leader can't if if a leader can accept the team and the structure and the healthiness of the organizations that that's there and say, okay, even though I didn't build these houses or plant these vineyards, I'm going to build upon them. I'm going to utilize them to go even further with the success of this organization and not feel like they have to live up to what the other leaders were and be who they are. Um, and and follow their own, you know, you said a minute ago, you, you knew me when I was a leader in my own right. Follow who you are as a leader, how God's made mm. you. Um, then you have a greater opportunity for success. I think the, 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 the problem many leaders have is that the other leader gets talked about quite a bit. Um, and you have to be able to accept that reality. You have to be accept that reality. These are the ones that have brought this place to where it is now. And that's good. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't be jealous about that. Don't feel intimidated by that. And then move forward in, in your own way while honoring that previous leader. Um, and then continuing to move forward what has been built there. I think another challenge comes when you do see the need for change. Mm. And then you start having to deal with things that others might have considered sacred within this very successful organization. And what you will discover is in very successful organizations, there are things that aren't so successful. Right. <laughs> there are things that aren't going well. Right. There are things that are, that do need to be fixed and changed. Sure. Even in the best organization. Exactly right. There's never a perfect organization. There's always something that can be improved. Um, and I may be giving you a very long answer here, but. No, it's good. Um, a minute ago, a minute ago, you used a word which I think is crucial in the thing. And I suppose it's sort of a psychological word, but that's intimidation. I, I never felt you were intimidated. You, you followed. Well, let's deal first of all with your dad. You, you followed your, your father, Dr. Paul Walker. And I always felt you honored him as your father. You honored him as the founding pastor. But you you pretty quickly found your own voice. Uh, I always felt that when you took over Mount Perrin North, you took one of the churches, that, that pretty quickly it became clear in my mind and to everybody I think that was an objective observer that, it, that you had your own voice. You were certainly Dr. Paul Walker's son, but, but I, I never felt people said about you, wow, he's really good, but he's not Paul Walker. I felt they, they accepted you as the lead. You were the pastor and you, you took over and, and established your own voice without intimidation, but you honored him at the same time. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm, I mean, that's flattering. And I'm, and I'm glad that seemed to be the, <clears throat> what everybody was, was observing and, and, and recognizing because that certainly was what I wanted to do. And it's what I've been attempting to do here at Lee University and honoring in honoring Dr. Khan in this process. Um, and I think that goes back to what I was saying that you, you, you have to be very secure in who you are. Mm. You, you have to know who you are as a leader. And that's a, as you well know, that is an ongoing process. Yes, it is. Um, you know, you are constantly, uh, evaluating yourself. You're constantly looking at who you are. You're constantly evolving and developing, 
Um, and you have to be willing to do that. I, I, I think a leader really is in a bad spot when they feel like they have arrived. That's and they right. feel like they have learned it all. They know it all. Um, boy, I think that's the beginning of anybody's downfall. But, yeah, I think it is. I think in honoring the leader, you're honoring also the the success of the organization. You're honoring the tradition of the organization. You're honoring all that has been made right and good about this organization. And then while being yourself, um, you are also, I think, demonstrating there's more that can happen with this organization. There's more to move forward with this organization. Um, and so I think that's where you just have to be, you know, my dad always had a phrase, you've got to feel comfortable in your own skin. Mm. Um, and uh, I think I learned that there now. Trust me. <laughs> You know, the, the old adage, looks are deceiving. Uh, I may not have looked intimidated, but trust me, there were many, many times I felt very intimidated. And I have felt that way in this position here at Lee. Sure. Um, it's a part of being human. It's just going to happen. And I think you just have to deal with that. You have to recognize, okay, I'm feeling this way. But that doesn't mean I have to act this way or lead this way. Or I have to let my emotions be dictated by that. Good. Um, recognize it see where it's coming from. Why are you feeling that way? What's the vulnerability within your own makeup that this intimidation seems to be striking at this time? Uh, is it a fear of failure? Is it a fear of living up, measuring up? Is it a fear of whatever it might be? Um, so I think if, if, if a leader can just be very open to those things within him or herself um, and not be intimidated by what has happened and who is there and what others might be thinking, um, then I think there's just a greater opportunity for success and growth. Every new place I went moving, you know, from a, a church to a university, from one university to another university, I had the same kinds of migration that you did. I found that one of the things that intimidated me was always the uh, the new level of um, knowledge. It wasn't just the previous leader, but there were new things. When I left Mount Perrin as the associate, went to be the pastor at Calvary, I felt there were just things about being the lead pastor at a megachurch that I just never had done before, and then a university, and then to ORU, I, I felt that there was just a body of knowledge that I had to get to, get to that level so fast. Have you encountered that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, now, growing up in a pastor's home and growing up in church and kind of being behind the scenes um, uh, and a lot of leadership kind of things in my home and leading a church, it wasn't so much when when I became a pastor. Now, obviously, there is a tremendous learning growth and curve that goes along with being a pastor. My point is that wasn't as foreign to me as stepping into higher education. That was like going mm. into a foreign land. I had the same um, experience. I mean, even though, even though, as we both have, we we engage in higher education and our own educational development and growth. Um, and have had opportunities to be, you know, professors or adjuncts in, in certain kind of situations. But to be in higher ed, be a leader in higher ed, it's a whole different language. It's a whole different rhythm. There's different levels of governance. And yes, I mean, it was very overwhelming. Probably the greatest challenge of my life was stepping into a higher ed leadership role. Um, and I think perhaps this is what you discovered too in this body of knowledge that you have to to, to get on 
get a grasp on. I mean, you have to just pace yourself. You got to take your time. You got to lean on other people. You got to be willing to ask for help. You got to be willing to even be embarrassed. You know, you can't, you can't sit back in fear. You got to step out there and say, well, if I make a fool of myself, I make a fool of myself, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to figure this thing out. Um, and I think leaning on other people is huge. You know, when I came to Lee, I came in as a vice president, but I also I was a chair of a department. And what was interesting to me when I stepped into that role, I did not realize that the two previous chairs of that department were now faculty members within that department. Oh, great. And I thought, oh, <laughs> my goodness. Yeah, great. What in the world, you know? And I really did feel like, oh, this is, this is not, not going to go well. But I tell you what, it was a godsend for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, these two men were so humble and so helpful mm-hmm. to me. I leaned on them my entire, at least my entire first year at least, and they were so open to help me. And I know that's not always the case. So I was blessed. I was blessed. You know, uh, when I went to when I went to Southeastern, I had a friend. Uh, you and I both know him. He was the vice president at Houghton College, and he agreed to tutor me, to mentor me. And there would be meetings when they would ask me questions and I would say, you know, I left something in my office. Can I be back? I would go in my office and call David and say, hey, when they ask about this, what does it mean? And then I'd I'd come back in and give them this knowledgeable answer. (laughs) That's great. Well, listen, man, I learned, you know, as being a chair of a department too, a lot of students are coming to you asking about their schedules, asking about certain courses, and you have kind of stroke of the pen power to override certain things. Well, I had students sitting in front of me. I had no idea what they were even asking. I had no idea what they were <laughs> even talking about. And so I would take some notes and I would say to them, hey, you, I will be back with, in touch with you within 24 hours. And then I would go find those two chairs and I'd sit down and say, tell me what they're even saying. Tell me what this is even they would give me the answer and then I would go back within 24 hours to be in contact with that student. Yeah. I understand. I understand exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, I, I heard uh, I heard um, the president of the NCAA in uh, the Southeastern Conference, he made a goofy statement the other day and he said the hardest job in the world is being a college president. And I, I remember thinking, you know, I, when you say that, roofing in South Texas in August kind of pops into my mind. <laughs> but I, 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 I don't think it's the hardest job in the world, but there are complications uh, vertically and horizontally in, in the leadership of a, of a university, particularly a Christian university. There are things you have to think about as the president of a Christian university that the president of a secular university doesn't even have to concern himself with. Sure. And, and sure. I do think it is a complicated place of service. Oh, goodness gracious. I, where do we begin to even start unra- unwrapping that whole concept and whole idea? Yes. I mean, um, a Christian institution, a Christian university is not a church. It's a higher ed institution. It's about academics. It's about training students. It's about doing all of those things. You've got accreditation to deal with. You've got SACs to consider and uh, all the things that you decide. However, at the same time, yes, you are Christian. You have a set of doctrines and theological faith tenets 
that you adhere to in, in being a denominational school like we are with the Church of God. We, uh, you know, follow the doctrines and the statement of beliefs of the Church of God, which we have we have no problem doing. But not always do those two entities meet at the same point. Mm-hmm. Um, there is that tension that does exist. And you have the progressive culture of our time right now. You have the federal government who is, uh, you know, seems to be becoming more and more, um, uh, what would I say, more progressive in its thought processes and in its policies um, concerning a lot of things that go against what we would consider the the basic Christian faith tenets. Um, and, you know, when it comes to federal funding, it comes to things you need from the federal government. Um, you find yourself in that place of tension of having to uh, walk the rope to do the things that you've got to do to meet what they're asking while at the same time maintaining mm. your Christian perspective and integrity. Um, and then, of course, you do have, um, you know, we're a community of faith here at the university, as any, I think, Christian university or college would consider themselves to be. And so we have certain standards of conduct that we expect the students and faculty and staff to adhere to, which is always what you would not necessarily have in a secular school. Right. And right. so dealing with dealing with those issues um, and dealing with those issues in a, um, you know, a fair, <laughs> godly, right way is always is always attention. You know, I've told my pastor friends. Well, they've asked me, so what is it like being a you know college president? Do you, you, do you do some of the similar things you do as a pastor? Well, certainly you do. Um, and especially in the Christian organization, you certainly do the things that you would do as a pastor. And, and leadership is leadership. Um, I think, you know, there are certain universal principles of leadership that apply any place where, where you're a leader. But what I've told them, I said, I said okay, here's what, here's what I want you to think about as a pastor. Sunday is when you've got everything clicking on your campus, all your way, well, your small groups or your, or your uh, Sunday school classes or whatever you do in a, in a discipleship fashion on Sunday, you got your big worship services, you got everybody coming and going. It's your big day. That is all your constituents pretty much in the same place at the same time on Sunday. I said, now put every one of those people on your campus 24 seven, mm. You're feeding them. You're having to watch over them. You're having to make sure everything's working every single day. You're trying to make sure they're safe. You're making sure they're getting where they're supposed to be. I said, think about that. And they just kind of rolled their eyes back in their head. Exactly. Because that's the, you, you have got all these people living on your campus and things can happen in the night and safety is an issue and all those things that... Um, you don't necessarily take into consideration or think about exactly um, in in uh, other leadership kind of, of, of opportunities or uh, positions. Exactly. And uh, how many days a week do you have chapel at, at Lee University? We have chapel two, Tuesday and Thursday, twice a week, and then once a year. Oh, excuse me, not once a year. Once every semester, we have uh, four day four four evenings of convocation services. So it'd be Sunday through through Wednesday. Yeah. Well, that's right there. Most, most churches have Sunday morning service. So you you double that too. And, uh, and I don't know how often you preach those chapels, but you preach those. And then there is the, the issue 
that complicates it. You, in a church, people give because they want to give. You're actually charging the people that are on your oh, yeah. campus. So they're paying you to be there and then you have to make them behave. It's extremely complicated leadership. I, 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 it, absolutely. And then you have the whole, the whole situation with faculty yes. uh, and the whole idea of academic freedom within the classroom, the whole idea sure. of tenure, um, and all those things that, I'm not, I'm not suggesting those are wrong and I'm not suggesting they shouldn't be in place. I'm just saying that those are other layers of governance for lack of a better term that you do have to, you do have to deal with, yeah. um, which, you know, and the stroke of the pen power that, you know, my, my wife told me this when I became, when I left being a senior pastor and came to leave, she said, you lost all your superpowers <laughs> because, <laughs> because the stroke of the pen power that you have as a pastor, you don't necessarily have, um, certainly coming in as a vice president or as a chair, you certainly don't have as much now as a president. You got a little bit more, but you still, there's so many other layers of, of governance you have to deal with. Um, where as a senior pastor, you don't necessarily have, have to do that depending on the course, the governance structure of your congregation. It was a huge, it was a huge difference to me. The pace, uh, oh, yeah. the, the pace mm -hmm. slowed so much. And, uh, and I realized the whole issue of growth that, that growing a university, you have imagined doing church growth where you can only bring in new members twice a year. And if you miss right. either one of them, you don't get another chance for a year. That's a great point. And exactly. I, I found the, the pace of growth, the pace of governance, everything. Uh, it was a huge readjustment for me. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me ask you another question. Um, mm -hmm. uh, parents listening, grandparents listening, and, and this issue of getting our young people educated in America and, and around the world. We have people listening everywhere. What, is, what, what do they do? That's, it's a real struggle. And so why should I, as a parent or a grandparent, why should I invest in, in private Christian education? Give, give me an answer to that. Well, here's my answer. For a better world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds grandiose, and I know that may sound very uh, trite or clichéic, but uh, truthfully, I, I, I believe with all my heart for a better world, I think... Um, I think the people that make the best employees, that make the best leaders, workers in any field are those who are engaging in those areas with a proper understanding of how, who they are and what they do is an extension of our maker and his desire to better the world in which, that he created. Um, I think it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Be fruitful and multiply and tend the garden. Take care of what I have created. I have commissioned you with a mandate in relationship with me under my guidance to, to take care of the very place I gave you and the very creation I have created. Um, obviously our sin has just completely wrecked all of that. 
And I think private Christian uh, education is a part of the redemptive process uh, to to bring redemptive work into this earth. Um, you know, this is what I say about Lee University. Um, the world is a better place with Lee University students in it mm-hmm. um, because the world needs Lee, because they need people who are understanding, know how to think critically, which was liberal arts is all about this idea of, of the whole person, helping the whole person understand, uh, to, to critically think, to deal and engage in uh, public discourse and engage in our world and all of the different ideologies and schools of thought and to do so uh, in an articulate way, in an intelligent way, in a gentle way, in a respectful way, which we've totally lost. In our culture, it's true, the ability to agree to disagree is almost gone, if not gone altogether. Mm. Um, but the ability to engage at a high level with the Christian values and the biblical understanding um, of what life is and what it means to serve others, what it means uh, to engage the world around us, what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself—it's the great commandment and the great commission. All coming together, um, and to me, any private Christian university or college that's worth its salt is bringing those two elements together in a very clear, uh, challenging way um, to uh, to send forth graduates Beautiful. that go in this world and look to uh, make the world a better place to the glory of God using their talents and gifts and abilities that God has given to them, seeing it as a calling and a ministry as much as a pastor standing behind a pulpit. Beautiful, beautiful answer. That's exactly right. Uh, prepare better students, better people, and you you at least add to the concept of a better world. Uh, I think that's a brilliant answer. I just... I just know that there are 17 year olds graduating from high school or from some at their at their mother's dining room table where they did homeschooling and step out of that and into the to the toxicity uh, at, at a state university. And uh, I, I just I just think it sends a shudder down my spine. And I, mm-hmm. I urge people to consider Christian education and. I always say this. I was the president of two different universities. I believe in both of them, but I always say, no matter where you travel, there there's only one Lee University, and uh, you you are doing a great, great job there. I wanna I wanna close with this as we always do. This is a question I ask every guest. Uh, this is the leader's notebook, and so I always ask this question: Is there one thing, I, I know there might be a million things, but is there one thing that you would say, this is the great thing I've learned about leadership? Is there something that you could give to the leaders that they can write in their notebooks? Wow. The one thing, my goodness. You know, Mark, I'm a believer. I'm a, I am a firm believer in knowing who you are and being who you are. Um, I just think leaders have to be secure in how God has wired them and made them and not be afraid to live within that 
Um, that doesn't mean you aren't open to change or to learn. Absolutely. I mean, I believe leaders are learners and I believe leaders lead the way in learning and looking to better themselves. But I truly believe, I think the key to leadership, know who you are and lead within that. Beautiful. I mean, that's understanding your weaknesses. That's understanding your strengths. That's understanding um, your likes and your dislikes. Um, because when you can really have a sense of who you are and how you're wired by God and you accept that, then you, from that place, you can look at seeing, okay, who do I need to have around me that will help to strengthen my weaknesses and who will help me strengthen my strength and who can hold me accountable? All those types of things. Um, so I really, uh, I think the number one thing, know who you are, live and lead within, uh, that understanding. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's exactly right. Any other way we wind up just being phonies that are leading in a way that is completely out of our own, out of our own personal ability and experience. Wonderful. It's Saul's armor. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you. This has been wonderful. I I appreciate you so much and, and God bless your leadership there at Lee University. And I'm glad that you accepted that call. <laughs> I know it was I know it was a challenge and and I appreciate the fact you stepped up to it, stepped into it and and yet again. And I, I appreciate you, Mark, and I admire you. Well, I love you, my friend. It's always a pleasure. And I, I say this honestly about my place here at Lee. I've said this to everybody here at Lee. I would not want to be doing anything else anywhere else with anybody else. I really believe God's called me here. And uh, though it's been a challenging ride, it's really been a good ride thus far. I'm just looking forward to where we're going. And thank you for the opportunity of being on your show. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Uh, I'm so glad that you joined us today for this interview with Dr. Mark Walker at Lee University. Let me remind you that if you want to uh, tap into some of our uh, products, books, uh, that kind of thing. You can always go to drmarkrutland.com. And let me remind you, if as Dr. Walker said, uh, great leaders are always great learners. You might want to check out the National Institute of Christian Leadership. You can do that at thenicl.com. Now, until we meet again, this has been The Leader's Notebook, and I'm Mark Rutland. You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.